the uh, we missed last week because I was in Daytona Beach speaking to youth ministers and those who direct youth ministries. What, a, what an amazing group of people. Thank you for your patience. I'm gonna do two chapters uh, today. <clears throat> Letting them out there a day early because um, we were late. We, well, we were absent last week. We didn't do any classes. Plus these two chapters just really go together well and I would like for you to be able to look at them both. And then when we hit chapter 17, we've got some real, real stuff to talk about. But I wanna, I wanna suggest something to you that may not seem obvious. The Bible can be read as a record of the patience of God. Oh, no doubt. There is blood, <clears throat> there is war, there is retribution, there are plagues. Those are all in this book. And us, those of us with Western minds can really struggle to try to view this book as a book of patience, as a book of uh, God's restraint. And I really think it's, it's because we have to make a journey in our minds, those of us that are Western creatures. We have to make a journey to a very strange planet, one we would not really even recognize at all, one where the idea of rights of the individual or justice for all, uh, blind justice, um, where we are all of equal standing <clears throat> before God uh, and, and the world, before our gods, let's say, <clears throat> the pagan authorities in um, governmental power and like, none of those ideas exist. The word people want and what they seek is order not justice, not individualistic meaning and value, not equality, certainly, not fraternity, order, because those other things had not yet seeped into the mind of human beings. When we read this book and we're going, whoa, 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 what? Yeah, God did eliminate an enemy, but there were an awful lot of other things that got hurt to the, the mind of the people at the time, they look at that and of course they mourn for their losses, but they see a reestablishment of order. So <clears throat> I wasn't doing this before we went live, but I'm gonna have a refreshing beverage <clears throat> and get started. If you'd like to know more about the concept of seeking order and what that means, <clears throat> really good books by John Walton, um, The Lost World of Genesis 1, uh, The Lost World of the Israel, Israelite Conquest. Um, look, look at those books. They're not long, and they really are not difficult. I, and, and I'm not saying that, like a guy that reads us all the stuff, so oh, go on, it's not that tough. A lot of theological books are really brutal for me to get through. I think science, I love that stuff. Some of that stuff is difficult, theology. Uh, but not John Walton. His is more theology, yes, but he's also looking more history, linguistics, and the like. Now, you don't have to agree with everything um, John Walton says. <clears throat> I don't. I'm not going to tell you what I disagree with, though, because it's not important. What you will get from him, however, is that overall feeling of we need a king. 
We want to live <clears throat> in empire. This will go away, I promise. <clears throat> it happens every morning. And I thought we were done. <clears throat> you know, I never even smoked. And there you go. You can live a nice, clean life and <clears throat> have this in the morning. The reason people wanted a king and they wanted an empire was they wanted order, predictability, not fairness, but predictability for the people. And by the way, put quotation marks around the people because almost every nation, not empire, but almost every nation and tribe call themselves the people. Navajo, uh, who more call themselves the Denye, or any of the others, you know, the different names for the uh, Native American tribes, when, or the Canadian First Nations, or the, um, the different civilizations throughout Central and South America, or you go into Africa and the different tribal units there all the way through Asia. When you translate the name for themselves, the name is the people. Everybody else are not people. We're people. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> and to keep the people in an ordered way, that was more important than individual rights, period. By the way, if that shocks or harms you in any way, there is a great deal of that in the American system uh, and the British system as well. I'm not trying to peck just on the one. But we give this thing, you know, Lady Justice is blind and, and justice for all. And it just really isn't true. It, it matters a lot who you are, who you know, and what lawyers you can afford. And we all know that. But at least we give lip service to the individual. So there you go. Got that going for us. Now, <clears throat> in Revelation so far, back to the patience of God, we've seen warning trumpets blown to warn back, in fact, seven of them, warn back all of those who are persecuting the church. You've hit an alarm. You've hit a tripwire. And so God releases a sound of a trumpet saying, don't do this. Back up. Don't do this. Now, seven just means as many as it takes. So God has not just done seven warnings. He's issued a lot, but he's issued all he's going to issue. There comes an end. And then seven seals were there. We've already looked at those to show that God has wrath and <clears throat> there is a progression to that wrath. And that when he gets on the last nerve, that's the last nerve he's got and the wrath will now be emptied. So now God is going to send in his last phalanx of angels. It's not like he's running out of angels. Just in this particular engagement, he's going to send in seven angels, seven, 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 just means as many as it takes. And they're coming with all the stored up wrath of God. They've stored it in bowls. Why would God be storing wrath? Because people had not repented and the people had ignored him. And because patience, there's a thing about patience. It has an end. Your patience has an end, my patience has an end. So does God's. Yeah, <clears throat> you might want a sip of your refreshing beverage at this point as well. Christians and Rome are about to see the current order blasted, broken, divided, ripped to shreds, thrown to the wind, whatever you want to, to say. The first four verses of Revelation 15. 
I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. Does that mean you'll never be angry again? No. Again, Western mind, Eastern mind. To them it means this is all it's going to take. This is the last, the last straw, last nerve, whatever. God's coming in. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Wow. <clears throat> I love it. I love it for several reasons. One, God's not going to be sneaky about this wrath. His people, the sea, even though it looks like they're on fire, we're able to watch and see what God does to the enemies of God when God's had enough. So we're there. And what are we doing? We're singing. We're singing. It's not really a war song, though, is it? It's more of a, God, we love you. We get it. When will the rest of these nations get it? And I like to sing the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. There are interplays in Scripture, and we don't have time to go through them today. And, and besides, this, that's not really my wheelhouse, but there are people that do this for a living. These interplays between the songs in Scripture and the songs we sing on earth and how some of them are sung in heaven. Think about that. Angels sing our songs. That is so cool. They're singing with us. And again, Hebrews 12 would indicate we're all on the same mountain already in God's eyes. Um, in a very, very real sense, as real as we are here, we are also already there worshiping together with the angels. So it would seem to make sense that they sing some of our songs too. Well, what's going on here? Notice that this plan, this wrath and unfolding of what God's about to do may not help Bob or Sally. Individuals are still gonna die. They're still gonna go hungry. They're gonna starve to death. Their families are gonna perish in the wilderness. This is not good news for all people at all time. This is good news for the believers in that God's going to stop this, stop this Roman empire and its whole worship and God system and its whole um, ideas uh, about you know, the, the superiority and the God-likeness. God Actually, they believe they were gods of certain emperors. That's all gonna go away. But when he pulls that out, when he pulls that weed out, there's gonna be a lot of dirt clod coming out with it. Gonna be a lot of people hurt. And this, this would be a good time to remember something which I tell myself so very often. Patrick, you're a part of the plan, but you're not the point. So whenever bad things happen to me, I, I really have no right to raise my fist to heaven and say, why would you do this? I was being good and I was doing good things. What, what happened here? Because God's purposes, they're bigger than me. He loves me as he loves you. 
we are loved equally before the Father, but we will not have equal experiences on this earth. And sometimes the universe will seem capricious. Um, it'll seem like there's absolutely no form or order to the way we are interacting with things. But be aware, we are a part of the plan, but we're not the point. God didn't wake up this morning in heaven and say, all right, angels, huddle up. We need to make sure Patrick has a good day. No. By the way, that would be exceptionally cool, but no. So remember this. When God moves, we might get caught between the wheels of the chariot. But we're not the point of the battle. We're just merely part of it. Then in Revelation uh, 15, verses 5 through 8, after I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, I love it whenever he stops to uh, interpret for us, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, the place, tabernacle is just a tent meaning, this is a, a dwelling place for God's covenant with us, but also that covenant has a law aspect to it. Um, it, is, it is rather like a, a social contract you've heard people use, perhaps in news or in sociology. It was opened, this tabernacle of the covenant law, and out of the temple came seven angels with seven plagues. Seven, 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 many as it takes. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chest. Now, sounds a little Levitical priesthood-like in the dress that they have. I think you can oversell that quite a bit. I think the point may be that they are clean. These are not bad angels. There is nothing bad in them. What they are bringing, they are bringing from God. They have a royal warrant, that golden sash about them, and they are clean angels. Uh, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke, pay attention, from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Okay. <clears throat> I don't believe that these outfits um, were exactly those of the Levitical priest, but they, there is at least a, an echo, a memory there. So what does a priest do? A priest goes to the people of God on God's behalf, and he also goes to God on the people's behalf. So in some ways he stands between earth and heaven, not as a mediator, but as a communicator. Only Jesus is the mediator. But then what's with all the smoke in the temple? Every Jewish person hearing this book, as it was read and then they move and they read and then they move, every Jewish person would have heard this and gotten it like this. Now the Gentile Christians, which were still a minority when this book was written, but soon would not be the minority, they would have had to have it explained to them. But in scripture, when we see God, God moving, and then there's the flashes of lightning, there's thunder, there's smoke filling the temple, it means the cherubim have arrived, or the cherubs. Remember we talked about this, uh, Hebrew, can, makes its plurals by an I-M at the end, im, like cherub, cherubim, cherubim, or uh, like the bathing that they did, the ritual baptism they did, the, um, you know, the mitzvah. If you have more than one, it's mitzvahot. 
So they, they make a difference. So in your Bible, it may say cherubs, it may say cherubim. Now you know why. They, these beings seem to be much, much more powerful than the average angel. And they are certainly, um, they run ahead of God. And it's, it's almost like a guard detail, a secret service detail. But we all know God doesn't need to be guarded. But every time God moves, these guys show up. And like Ezekiel 1, just read Ezekiel 1 and you'll see what I mean. It's, it's a very dramatic thing when they show up. So God's going to clean house, by the way. Did you, not, did you notice that? You can't come to the temple until he is done sorting out and doing all the work he's going to do. He's going to restore order, the covenant of his law. Now, chapter 16. We're going to see God unload. Uh, he's already loaded the magazine, slammed them in the weapon. Now he's going to unload. Your patience and my patience have limits, and so does that of God. So all seven bowls here are going to be poured out in one chapter. No cliffhangers, no ending with an beast stood on the shore of the sea. Now, this is just going to go all the way through, all right? So we look at these bowls, by the way, let me caution you not to look for a specific historical event or occurrence for each of these seven bowls. You would be showing that you don't really get the concept of Jewish apocalyptic literature. Um, you, are, you would also be showing that you have not yet still understood the concept of the word seven. Because seven can mean three. Because if that's all it takes, okay. You did everything, it's completed. It can mean a hundred. So the seven bowls of wrath, don't go around here you know, doing like a, a, a math problem for a second grader where you have seven bowls. And you, no, this is using words in a different way, all right? Um, there, these, blow, these bowls are like body blows. They're punches from God. And again, any symbol we use will fail if you push it too hard. So these are like body blows that God is punching Rome, knocking it down, kicking it along the curb, kicking it down the road. But also not just Rome as a concept. I mean, it's gonna be the governors of Rome, the uh, ruling system of Rome, the religious system of Rome that enforced the edicts of Rome, the bloodthirstiness of the empire. God is not real happy whenever we decide to use our power against other children of God. By children of God, I mean humans. Don't count them out because they're Muslim or because they're pagan. No, 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 they're humans. We got to be very aware of the fact that God's children are human beings and all human beings are God's children. Rome, if you were not of the people and a particular status within the people, you were nothing. You were kicked to the curb. You were kicked and body punched and like, and so God's going, uh-uh, I'm coming in. Hold my coat. So Revelation 16, one through seven, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go, Ooh. go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshiped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in a sea died. Okay, hang on, just hang on. Those of you that wanna go back and look at the historical, all right, which one does this do? 
There was never a time that every living thing in the sea died. That should be what Sherlock Holmes would call a clue. This is picture, 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 picture. Not, well, you know, they had kind of a, um, of a smallpox epidemic and then there was that bubonic plague thing. So which one? Stop it. Just get the pictures. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you're just in these judgment, O holy one. You who are and who were, for they've shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you've given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Couple of things here. Um, the angels, when they come down and they start doing this, they, there's a little pause in a battle where they look back at God and they get, they say, I, I get your point. This needed to be done. You're absolutely right. This could not have been done any other way. I cannot help but think of the three visitors to Abraham's tent. As they uh, get up to leave, it, it becomes clear to Abraham that these are from God. These are not humans. And the last one, the angel of the Lord, the son of God, he realizes he's talking to somebody special. But as they get up to leave, the two that are heading off to Sodom and Gomorrah, Jesus, who is that third angel, stops and calls him back and he goes, shall I keep from my servant Abraham what I'm about to do? These angels are moving around, they're taking reports. He looks at Abraham and he says, great cry has come up from Sodom and Gomorrah. By the way, their sin certainly involved male rape, but according to Ezekiel and according to Jewish teaching for the longest time, their sin was their mistreatment of strangers, lack of hospitality and not caring for the poor. It manifested in a particular way, but the sin of Sodom is a lot closer to our daily sin than we might want to admit, all right? We can talk more about that later if you want to send in questions, but not for a while yet. Um, we're busy. That said, again, that whole concept of they're going to go see, Jesus says, they're going to go see if the cries and what we're hearing is true. Now, that doesn't sound like the way we were told heaven works, but it's in the Bible. And here, the angels go in and during the battle, they're basically calling back to their commander going, dude, you were right. These guys deserve it. And another very odd thing is that the altar talks. You see that? Verse seven, I heard the altar respond. Oh, well, I don't think there's a physical altar in heaven because I don't think physical, I don't think the word physical means anything. And we get to that place. It's all gonna be changed or as Calvin and Hobbes cartoon would have said, transmogrified. It's all gonna be sorted out different, but I think what this is, is the bulk of the believers who have been martyred, their prayers are up on the altar. And I think this is another way of saying, all of those who've been praying to God, saying you've got to move against this, have just been justified by what the angels have seen. God's gone. We're all in agreement then. Wow, it's, a, it's pretty heady stuff, isn't it? 
The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. The sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues. But they they refused to repent and glorify him. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his classic book, The Great Divorce, has people from hell, the doors of hell open and they go up and they see heaven and they're given the opportunity to leave hell and go into heaven. But each one of them, and it's an amazingly clever book, really is, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Every one of them finds a reason to walk away and go back to hell. And as C.S. Lewis and others have mentioned, hell has locked doors, but they're locked from the inside. People look at all this and go, well, I don't like your God and I'm gonna fight and he shouldn't do this and he's a nasty God anyway, and they're not gonna repent. So God's not gonna stop. It's the way this works. God keeps punching. So what's he gonna do? Oh boy, it's gonna get worse. Fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. It was. In fact, we used to call the Middle Ages the Dark Ages. We don't tend to do that anymore, but um, there's a reason we did that. The reason we don't do it anymore is because they weren't terribly dark to the rest of the world in comparison to what they were. Uh, And the countries with Islam, for example, there was somewhat of a renaissance during this particular time and new discoveries in science and such. And then they went into a decline uh, right as the Renaissance starts coming up. So it's, that's, we used to call it the dark ages cause the Western nations went into darkness. His kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores but they refused to repent of what they had done. They're angry at God for what he's doing. They refused to repent for what they did. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare a way for the kings from the east. Okay, now the Euphrates is a long, long way from Rome. So you might wonder, well, what's the deal there? The Euphrates was a natural barrier. I drive from um, my home in Middle Tennessee to um, Arkansas and Oklahoma and Texas. And if I'm doing the Northern route, I'll go from my home, uh, the interstate goes through Memphis. There's a huge Tennessee River in between. Every time I cross that long bridge, I look at the beauty of the river, and I think what a horror show that river was for any army, any tribe wanting just to move west and come across this. This is not a creek, this is not a stream. It's massive. How do we find a way around it? How long will it take to get us across? Is it safe to cross? That barrier, river barriers have defined nations, states, and empires. And whenever you remove the natural barrier, oh my goodness, that's a thing of fear. Think of the Alps. The Alps were considered a barrier. Nobody had crossed the Alps. And then Hannibal comes across with elephants. To be honest, Hannibal wasn't a brilliant tactician during this time. Uh, Well, strategy. Uh, It was more strategy, I guess, than tactics at first. Lost a lot of the elephants, got him across, and in a big battle, he lost the big battle. But Rome learned something, and that is 
people can get through the Alps to get to us. So God is saying, I'm now removing your border walls, your controls, all those things that kept the Parthians and many other tribes out. The names of the tribes back in this day were not the names of tribes today, so I'm not gonna go in a long list, but there were a lot of civilizations <clears throat> other than Rome that were more powerful than Rome and better fighters than Rome. But Romans didn't know that because they just assumed they were the pinnacle of all creation until they met the Parthians in the battle, which had happened before this. They crossed over <clears throat> and the Parthians with less men destroyed the Roman army. They, had, they knew how to use their arrows. Back in the day, people just shot arrows up and they hoped they ran down and hit somebody. But Parthians used a bow <clears throat> that was tougher. You pull it through. I do not believe what I'm about to tell you. But ancient historians say that from a gallop, they could fire an arrow through a bracelet a hundred yards away. I'm not buying it, but it's their way of saying, these guys were good. So when you, everything's gonna come across there. The Mongols, the Vandals, the Ostrogoths, all of them are gonna come across here now. It's a terrifying thing to drive the Euphrates. But it's not the only enemy coming. <clears throat> Remember in uh, Revelation 12, that the devil's down here. He's going to unleash his team now. Verse 13. I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So the devil is not taking this lion down. He is, um, he is on the move. So God says, look, I come as a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Back before COVID, do you remember those days? Hmm. Anyway, my wife and I would take a cruise every year or most years just to get away. And it wasn't any of the fancy ships with the many thousands of dollars. These, these are very much the middle-class ships <laughs> we'd go. Um, always, always enjoyed that, that bit of time. Then by, by US law, before they really get going, you have to do a muster. You have to go down to where your lifeboat would be, the lifeboat would be. And it used to be you had to put on the vest and you're standing packed, it's hot. You're dying. It's it's horrible. They've relaxed and relaxed and relaxed. And by the way, I, I read an article yesterday that says, well, when we come back, we're going to do virtual musters where you have to watch something on your phone and then check in that you saw it. I don't see how that could possibly go wrong. Anyway, this whole mustering thing, they would say, when you hear this, and the horn would blast several times, immediately leave your cabin have with you all of your pharmaceuticals that you might need, uh, your glasses, but come as you are. I'm looking down going, I don't think so. I want to get dressed. I figured I can move pretty fast and a lot of these passengers can't. So I can still get down there when they get there, but I'm going to get dressed. 
And if you're thinking, that's silly, you'll just drown. I will drown dressed. There you go. <laughs> anyway, he says, you want to be ready? Be dressed, be ready. Don't go naked. Let's go. Then verse 16, here we go. Chapter 16, 16. They gathered the kings together to the place that is in Hebrews called Armageddon. Oh, I know you've been told it was Armageddon. Nope. Armageddon. And there should be a at the very first of it, but don't worry. Armageddon. Now, let's talk about Armageddon. It's a Hebrew word. It means the Valley of Megiddo. I know that doesn't really open up any, any people out there. Oh, now I get it. Every decisive battle that formed Israel, that left scars and memories, happened there. Think of Judge Deborah and Barak and Sisera and that big battle right there. So many right there. Live or die Israel right there. Now, when I was a boy, I came across several people that would, that would preach hard and hot and heavy that one day there would be a battle and all of the evil people and all of the righteous people would meet in a big battle in Armageddon, they call it, Armageddon. It's physically impossible. It's not a big valley. It's very small. You might be able to get tens of thousands in there if you coordinated it well and made sure that everybody was arranged right. But that's it. Billions and billions and billions of people have lived or are alive. And no, this is a spiritual thing. You just, you, please let it be a spiritual thing. This is, um, the devil is, I'm going to unleash his spirits. And where are they? Where are they going? Let's see. They go, boom, and now the mouth of the false prophet. And they go out into the air. Ephesians tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the air. These are the demons that still plague us. Revelation 7, woe to the earth and to the inhabitants thereof because the devil, that dragon, has come down to you. God then unleashes his angels. Verse 17 forward, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it's done. By the way, that is a, a way of saying it is done, deal made, I agree. So this is actually language. In most of the world, that still is how you seal a deal. And of course, here we have fist bumps, we have elbow bumps now. Uh, we have high fives, low fives, all the handshakes, all of that comes from deal done, we agree. It's like saying amen with your hands. There came flashes of lightnings, rumblings, peals of thunder, a severe earthquake, Cherubim are back. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind's been on the earth, so tremendous was the quake. And again, understand they're talking about their world. People in China are probably not gonna be paying attention to the fall of Rome. They have their own emperors over there. But in this world, in Western, in Western civilization, nothing has been so defining as the rise and then the fall of Rome. And I believe I could argue that point. Certainly for their for their world. Remember, they didn't live through World War I, World War II. They didn't live through the African slave trade. They're talking about this is what, this is the worst thing anybody could have ever thought of. The great city split into three parts. The, the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. In other words, no, 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 no. 
your enemies are not going to get away. God's going to remember who they are, and they're going to drink the cup of his wrath. That should make us be going, oh, goody, the person that was mean to us in Kroger or whatever store we were in, that they're going to get it. No, no. This isn't on a personal level. This is on a kingdom, nation, community, culture level. Every island fled away. That would be those little different groups. And the mountains could not be found. There's no refuge anymore. And from the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. Have you ever been in a serious hailstorm? My friends out west know what I'm talking about. I didn't know what they were talking about. We moved to Colorado. My wife's from Colorado. She could have told me, but I guess she assumed people knew. Uh, I just bought a new truck. I just bought. We we're having a vacation Bible school at Eastside Church of Christ where we were working and, and living there in Colorado Springs. When all of a sudden, the noise from the heavens was so loud, we couldn't continue teaching. I looked outside and hail, so you've heard of softball sized? At least, booming. There wasn't an inch of my truck that wasn't dented and twisted. Um, my insurance people took care of all of it, so I really love insurance people. But it was, it was a shocker. And then just a couple of weeks later, we were in our house when it sounded like a mortar hit our roof. Boom. And we know what mortars sound like. And my wife and I immediately look at each other and go, what just happened? And then boom, boom, boom. We look out and more are coming. I cannot imagine what a hundred pound hailstone would look like. But I don't have to because these are again symbols. It just means you're done. You're done. It'd be rather like a grasshopper standing on a train track going, all right, train, this is my territory. You're done. When God says you're done, you're done. And what happens to the people? They cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. They cursed God because they had consequences for their sins and that their lack of repentance had even more severe consequences. So Rome would be divided, smashed, obliterated. But a beast was coming and another battle is going to be fought and that's in the next chapter. And that's going to have to wait for a little while. You've been very patient. Uh, thank you for uh, understanding that last week we couldn't do a class. I hope two, um, on a Tuesday, day early. I hope that that helps you somewhat. If you have any questions, please fire off an email to info at OurSafeHarbor.com. If you'd like to be a member of our church, please watch the worship here. A little note about the worship, if I may, real quick. This last Sunday and the Sunday before were amazing, but this last Sunday was, the singing was fantastic, but you gotta get past the first song because we're still working out kinks in the sound and a couple of filters were thrown in the first sound. If you tune in to worship, you may be going, I think I'll tune out. Move past that first song. By the way, in the house, that first song sounded fantastic. But we found out uh, there was a little electrical bug that we needed to deal with. And I say we, there's one fellow running around fixing all this. He fixed it and the rest of the sermon sounded, uh, the sermon, rest of the, the songs sounded amazing. So have a, have a, still on this channel, same channel. And please share this, but when you just click share, an ugly logo pops up and nobody's just gonna click. It's a nice logo, but I mean, it's just a plain thing. There's no reason for people to click. 
So when you share, say write post, and that way you can say, I like this class, or we're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers, would you join us? Or here's a virtual church for those of you that are lonely, that'll make you feel better as you go through it, not because they don't teach the gospel, but because they do, okay? God bless you. Much love to all of you. It really warms our hearts. We'll talk to you very, very soon.